The Timeless Podcast Company present this podcast. In immersive sound design. Like to welcome you to the Did I ever tell you the one about podcast? Did I ever tell you the one about Big Daddy Kane? In this episode, Kane starts talking about the series of sold out shows at the Apollo with the Juice Crew All Stars. It was just bananas. I believe three sold out shows with MC Shan rocking with the live band. Biz Marquis, he had the big gigantic nose on stage where Boogers was dropping out. And then all of a sudden, Biz just fell out one of the nostrils and Cool V threw on picking Boogers, you know. And uh, I came down from the ceiling with like, you know, royal music playing and was lowered with young ladies came out dropping rolls, pedals. I mean, it was amazing. This is all orchestrated by Tyrone Williams of dream, a vision that he had, and he put it together like Motown 25 in a hip-hop fashion, and it was amazing. I remember Juice Crew going um, overseas when we did the Juice Crew European tour, and it was just crazy. I mean, we had the time of our life rocking, and I mean, just as a tight-knit family, you know? (laughs) And Mr. Magic, you know, one night, you know, getting drunk and thinking that um, these three buildings that he saw was Three Mile Island, and he started packing his bags and (laughs) rushing me to pack my bags, talking about we getting ready to leave, you know? I mean, I understood, you know, that I couldn't really explain to him that that's Pennsylvania, you know, the state he was in. (laughs) But it was funny as hell watching him pack, man. I mean, just beautiful moments. But I can't lie to you, I think my favorite Juice Crew moment of all time was recording the symphony. Because you see, when I did the song Roar, me and G-Rap went into Marley's crib and um, we both freestyled over the Roar beat and Marley started playing it on the air. Destruction and corruption is what will occur. Much damage being done as I injure. And when I get through rocking the mic like this, you laugh to thank the God Almighty if it still exists. Like that, y'all. It's like that, y'all. And when my ballys run down, I get tapped, y'all. So coochie rap. My mellow, my man. Get on the mic with the gangster plan. This little note is like a formula of an antidote. Forgot the cat as I quote, they want a deep throat. Lyrics that I wrote placed upon a be so neat. Orchestras and bands can't compete or compare or even come near to this here. And a lot of people started requesting it. And eventually Marley said, yo, I need y'all to do this, but I want y'all to do it on my album. Okay, cool. So when Marley was prepping for the album, I guess he told Craig G about the idea. And Marley said Craig wanted to be on the song. So I'm like, you know, you know, hey, I got nothing but love for Craig, you know, because Craig was in the Juice Crew before me and he hadn't even really got his shine yet. So absolutely, it's, it's time. It's time for that brother to blossom, you know? And then also I had heard Duck Alert and I saw how his lyrical ability has increased so much, you know? So I was like, yeah, absolutely, you know? <laughs> So here comes the day that we're actually taking photos for the In Control album. And we're taking photos, and there's two people there I didn't really recognize. Here is Juice Crew legend, Master Ace. There was a photo shoot. It was a, like a private airport out in Long Island. We showed up out there for the photo shoot, the Learjet and all of that. And that day was my first time meeting Kane. I had never met him before, but I I was a fan of his because I had heard Get Into It and I heard Just Rhyming With Biz and Funky. Like all of those records to me were like pushing the envelope in terms of what you could do lyrically. And he set the bar. He was one of the bar setters for me. So when I found out he was going to be there, I was super hype. And he kind of kept to himself, wasn't real talkative, wasn't like super friendly or nothing like that at first. After the photo shoot, I overhear 
Molly talking to Craig about a session that they were about to go do. Craig tells me, yeah, um, Kane and um, G-Rap are going to go to Marley's crib right now and record this other joint. And I hear Craig kind of asking Marley, can he jump on the song? And I guess they said, cool, no problem, meet us over there. But Craig wasn't driving, I was. So I was like, yo, I'll drive you over there. But the fact of the matter is, I really just wanted to be in on this session because I wanted to see Kane in action. I wanted to just hear what he was going to spit, like what was the song going to be like. I was just excited to be there. So I was like, yo, I'll drive you. And so I was Craig's ride over to Marley's crib. He was living in Astoria, Queens at the time. And um, that was the day that the symphony uh, got recorded. I don't know what y'all gonna do with this, but it got to be funky. It got to be funky if you're gonna be on it. I don't care who start, I don't care what y'all do, but you got to be finished before the music is through. Crib to record the symphony, and that's when Marley said, "This is my new artist, Master Ace." We were all in Marley's crib at the same time, if I'm not mistaken. Like stuff was set up in the living room, and dudes was writing in the kitchen. So they were writing their rhyme, and I was just kind of chilling, just like waiting for that great moment to hear these rhymes, these new rhymes on this new song. And Marley was like, "Okay, everybody wrote their stuff. All right, who's going first? And they all looking at each other and pointing the finger. Let Craig go. Yo, let Kane go. Yo, let G go. I don't care who's first or who last." But I know that y'all just better rock this at the drop of a dime, baby. So out of nowhere, Marley just spontaneously looks over at me. Yo, Ace, you got something for this? So I was like, yeah, I got something. He's like, all right, go in there and warm it up. These guys acting like they scared or whatever. Go in, you know, just set it off so these guys could stop acting scared. So I went in the booth with one of my memorized joints and I spit it. And um, he didn't really check with anybody about doing that. He kind of just spontaneously did it. But I was up to the challenge. I went in, I spit my verse. And, you know, Ace was standing there with these big, gigantic glasses on, you know. And Marley's saying that he's putting them on the song. So me and G-Rap broke off in the corner and was like, you know, yeah, let's get the fuck up out of here, man. Um, I ain't rocking with glasses. Nah, I'm good. I'm about to say I'm going to get some pizza and then I'm bouncing. Now I find out years later that, you know, Kane and G-Rap were like not feeling that idea. They didn't, had never heard me rap and they wasn't really interested in having this new dude that they were calling Glasses behind my back. They weren't interested in Glasses, you know, being on the song. And I don't know exactly what kept us, you know, dragging our feet or whatsoever, but um, Ace ended up going first. Action is in effect and always stays in, yeah. Glass is kind of hot, man. Glass is hot. You know, I'm, I'm rocking with them, you know? But then after they heard my verse, they had a change of opinion, and I guess they talked amongst each other on the way to the store about, yo, glasses is kind of high. Leave them on the joint. Let's leave them on there. And that's how I ended up on Symphony. I would have never been on that song. And then Craig spit his verse. And then um, after Craig finished his verse, G-Rap did his verse. Now, here's a story I don't know if anybody really knows, but G-Rap original verse was so damn long that the two-inch reel ran off. I don't know if people remember, but those two-inch reels were only like, I think, five or six minutes long. But when G-Rap went, his verse was so long that it ran the tape off the reel. There was no more room for no more music, <laughs> no one else to rhyme, nothing. So G had to cut his verse. So we all in there, we sitting there like, yo, won't you cut it here? Yo, yo, nah, you should cut it here. You know, now what about if you cut this part and cut that? And, and then G just, you know, like, man, fuck it, I'm just going to say something else. And um, I mean, I'm glad he did because that verse that he said, spit, you know, on the symphony was amazing. And of course it was shorter. So now it had room so I could finally go. <laughs> and, um, you know, that's where like one of my most classic lines come from. So put a quarter in your ass cause you played yourself. 
that song just became so amazing and one of the greatest posse cuts in hip-hop history to this day. And I'm just happy and honored to be a part of it and to be able to share the microphone with Cool G Rap, Master Ace, and Craig G. I still hear beats, what's that I hear? While we're speaking about them brothers, let me just say this. Master Ace, after recording that song, he had so many ideas. When he came in, he was like, yo, Juice Crew should be doing this. Yo, we should be doing this as a unit. We should be like, I mean, he had so, so many brilliant ideas. I mean, honestly, I really wish that Master Ace would have been a strong figure in the Juice Crew back in 1986. Because where his mind was and what he saw for us as artists collectively, I think would have been even more amazing than what we did those few years operating as the Juice Crew, whereas the rap side of the Juice Crew, you know. But by that time, you know, everybody else was going their own way, you know. But I mean, it was something unique that we brought into the industry that no one had really seen before, you know, that whole crew power. I would like to think that, you know, that would be something that may have inspired Wu-Tang and uh, many others, you know, to, you know, join together as a unit because that was something that hadn't really, really been done in hip hop before. Now, with that being said, of course, <laughs> it invited drama as well because what ended up happening was the Juice Crew BDP war, as people call it, you know, uh, where Shan and KRS were going at each other. Apparently, um, you know, something that occurred with KRS and Scott LaRock and Mr. Magic. I mean, Shan could probably tell the story better than I could, but um, it ended up where KRS drops a song, you know, South Bronx, dissing MC Shan. So you think that hip-hop had its start out in Queensbridge? If you pop that junk up in the Bronx, you might not live, cause you're in South Bronx, the South, South Bronx. And then um, MC Shan responds with Kill That Noise. Kill that, kill that noise. Kill that, kill that noise. Your boys and your family will be greeting your death. Yo, Shan, I didn't hear you say hip-hop started in the bridge in your record. I did, and they wanted to get on the bandwagon. And KRS responds with, the bridge is over. The bridge is over, the bridge is over. Hey, 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 the bridge is over, the bridge is over. The bridge is over, the bridge is over. And, you know, this was going on. And a lot of people was wondering, you know, about my absence. You know, yo, why you didn't, you know, step up. And, you know, in all actuality, Fly Ty, he actually did ask me to step up. Fly Ty came to me and said, yo, I need you to end this. But do it like you did it on your own. Don't tell Shan that I asked you to. You know, I told Ty I didn't want to get involved. And um, I explained to him why. I was like, you know, because at the time, you know, me and Shan, we had, you know, some little issues and whatnot where he kept referring to me as the new nigga, not calling me by my name. Master Ace. I thought it was just me, but it wasn't just me. It was kind of all the new guys. He just wasn't that welcoming. And me and KRS was cool. As I said, we used to hang out at Latin Quarters, you know. Mr. C. Kane and Chris had a very, very tight relationship. They was very tight. 
Chris helped Kane move out of his place at Lewis Avenue. When I moved out of my mother's house, it was Karis One and Miss Melody to help me move. Like I remember it like it was yesterday. Me and Karis One carrying this gray velvet couch down the stairs from my mom's crib that my mother let me take to my new apartment. And Miss Melody had the big 25-inch TV up under her arm, walking right behind us. And her cousin, who I was seeing at the time, had the VCR under her arm. And we took it all to the crib, set it up, bust open a six-pack of Heineken, and watched the color purple, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, you know, me and Chris had that type of relationship. Kane is a very loyal person. And you get to develop relationships with comrades and people that you kind of have that same type of, you know, standard with. And then they do things like that for you. You don't turn your back on them or you don't become the Benedict Arnold and be like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to get into this. And me and Shan wasn't that cool and that solid yet. Like, you know, like that's my brother, you know, right now, you know, I, I love him to death, you know, but at that point in time, we wasn't that cool. So that's the reason why I didn't get involved, you know, in the beef. But as a team player, at least what Kane did was he wrote Have a Nice Day for Shantae and put the diss rhyme in there with Chris. You may remember the voice from a few years ago when I first came out and dissed UTFO. I chilled for a while, I put down my pen, but now some suckers from the Bronx got me started again. Now I'm not out to just a whole boogie down, just a featherweight crew from that part of town. You made a little record and then you start fronting, try to just a juice crew but ain't hurt nothing. Now KIS-One, you should go on vacation with a name sounding like a whack radio station. And as for Scholar Rock, you should be ashamed when Tila Rock said it's yours, he didn't mean his name. So step back, peasants, popping all that junk, or else BDP will stand for broken down punks. And Chris, in turn, could have went back at Kane because Chris knew that Kane wrote it. Chris could have got back at Kane, and Chris didn't. Knowing Kane, Kane probably told Chris before the record was coming out, listen, man, this is what's getting ready to happen. You know, they wanted me to go at it, but I didn't want to go at you, but I penned something for Shawnee, whatever, whatever, boom. But at least Kane was a team player enough to put Shantae in position to get back at Chris with the uh, Have a Nice Day record. Cutmaster Cool V. I was with Kane. Actually, one time we was together when he told Chris that he wrote the record for Shantae. He said, you know I did join for Shantae, you know, to get you. He said something like, I wouldn't expect nothing less. <laughs> And we was laughing. But I mean, at this point in time, you know, you know, that's a thing of the past. And the most important thing is that those brothers kept it hip hop. Shan and Karis won. You know, they kept it on wax. They kept it on stage. It never became, you know, a contact sport, you know. So I commend both of them as great hip hop artists and true professional gentlemen. I can even remember back during that time, a lot of people trying to <laughs> instigate and I guess hoping to see a battle between myself and Rakim. DJ Cool V. Even back then when people were doing the rumblings about Kane and Rakim, I never fed into it because Kane and Rakim never really had a problem with each other and they never, never compare the two but if it's going to be comparisons they both are lyrically gifted on records better than most people when you dissect the record Kane was more upfront. Rakim you thought about it more after you listened to it okay bang 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 but 
you know, I heard people talking about it and it was always the the lingers on, the people around. It wasn't never Kane talking about Rakim or Rakim talking about Kane. Never was it that. Kane's friend, Steve. Yeah, I mean, you know, it was a lot of talk about Kane and Rakim battling, but um, they always had like a mutual respect for one another. And I think that the media was trying to take it out of proportion, but you know, them guys, you know, they on the same level as far as rap skills. And, um, you know, it's just that they talk about two different things, but they have similar personalities. So, you know, both of them guys are great guys, man, and they're true to the culture. You know, those guys are real MCs, man. You, you don't find guys like them anymore. It was the type of thing where anything that came out of one of our mouths, you know, someone would feel that it was a personal shot at, at the other. Oh, he getting the cane, cane getting it right. Oh, Ra getting the cane. The legendary DJ Mr. C. The Rock Kim stuff was never in my ear and never in my circumference. Nobody never really came to me and was like, you know, Kane and Ra, Kane and Ra, Kane and Ra. I never really got the brunt of that. And then me and Kane would never have those discussions because it's like all we're doing is focusing on what we're doing. Now, when it did happen, when people were saying who's better, Kane or Ra, and all of that, now, you know, of course I heard it when people were saying it. My whole thing was like, I wish somebody would say, Who's better, Mr. C or Eric B? And it's funny how it all ended up, you know, and, and how we actually, you know, resolved everything. Because um, what happened was, well, first, let me explain this. Eric B was always my dude, you know. I mean, Eric B was like, you know, my dude to the point where when I first bought my first house, I was away in L.A. Um, doing some filming stuff. And Eric B is the person that had the keys to my house to let the moving people in to um, place the furniture in different places. He's telling them, yeah, put the couch there, put the wall unit there. Yeah, take that bed on upstairs, blah, 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 you know. I mean, that's the type of relationship that me and Eric B have. You know, we're cool like that. And his younger brother, Ant Live, rest in peace, was my road manager, you know? So it was like, it was never no drama like what people thought, you know? I mean, Eric was my man and Eric brother was my road manager. And the way everything ended up being resolved was an issue where Ant Live was actually present because I remember picking up this young lady one night in my car and Ant was with me and she gave me this photo. It was a picture of her and she had written, Dear Kane, I want to set it off and get R-A-W. Ain't no half-stepping, because I'm going to break your wrath in half. So I hand the picture to Ann Live, and Ann Live is like, Hey, yo, what you mean by break the wrath in half, sweetie? And she's like, Oh, that's Rakim's new song. He got some song out dissing Kane. And, and like, you heard it? And she's like, uh, Yeah, Eric B played it for me in his Rolls Royce the other day. And, and it's like, Oh, word? And now me and Ann is crying, laughing. We crying, laughing, crying, laughing. Right? And so, oh, yeah, so, so, so what it sound like? And she's, you know, talking about what it sound, how it sound, and all this here. And like, like me and Ann, we still crying, laughing. So, long story short, she is tired of me looking at Ant laughing. And finally, She's like, yo, why do you keep looking at him and laughing? You work with Eric B or something? And Ann goes, nah, I live with Eric B. That's my fucking brother. <laughs> so, 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 and she said, oh, well, you know how niggas talk. <laughs> now we really screaming laughing. Like, we crying laughing now, you know? But I mean, that was the point when Ann just said, yo, this is getting out of hand. This, this is just too much, man. Like, y'all need to talk. Y'all really need to talk. So Ann live, you know, he um he called Rakim, put me on the phone with him, and we talked briefly and um you know he asked me about the um the rap solo whip you don't want to 
want none of this. And I explained, I said, nah, I'm saying I'm the rap soloist. Competition don't want none of this. Um, he thought I was referring to him because on his song, he said, and you know that I'm the soloist. And, you know, and I'm like, nah, God, I, I rhyme by myself. I'm a soloist too. You're not the only soloist. You know, any, anybody rhyme alone is a soloist. So then I asked him about the word the daddy. Line, and he was like, nah, that wasn't no shot at you. Like in Long Island, we say word to daddy instead of word to mama. So, you know, we just deaded it like that. And, you know, it, it was cool ever since. You know what I mean? You know, it wasn't no drama. But, um, you know, <laughs> you know, with the public, they still want it, though. <laughs> I mean, there was a lot of rivalries going on back then at that time, you know. Kumo D versus LL, KRS-One, MC Shan. But I think that my favorite one was MC Light versus Antoinette. Like, that was my favorite because... <laughs> 10% this. Oh my goodness, that was my jam. Hot damn, hot damn, hot damn, ho, here we go again. Sucker steal a beat when you know they can't win. You stole the beat, are you having fun? Now me and the odds gonna show you how it's done. Like I always thought that was the hardest track Light ever made. Only problem was I was dating Antoinette at the time. <laughs> So, like on days when I would be driving up to the Bronx, you know, to, um, to pick her up, I might be, you know, listening to 10% this, and then when I get on her block now, I got to take the cassette out and put it in the glove compartment and hide it inside, you know, that, that manual, whatever, you know, hide it inside there, and, you know, fold it over, you know, and put it in the glove compartment and hide the cassette there so she wouldn't see it. <laughs> but 10% this to me was just so, so hard, man. But, you know, there was a lot of... You know, a lot of rivalries um, going on back then, you know, but that's a part of hip hop. You know, keep you on your toes, man. Keep your lyrical game up to par. So ain't nothing wrong with that. You know, I, I think that that's a beautiful thing in hip hop. Me personally, I love all the battle rappers of today. That time period was so great. And then like all the tours that was going out, you know, as a shorty growing up, you, you're seeing footage of the Fresh Fest and you're seeing what's going on with Run DMC, Houdini, Fat Boys, and you're hoping that one day you can actually be a part of something like this. And then I remember when they did the Def Jam tour, I was able to be on the last two dates. Like my song was popping, you know, strong enough that they put me on the last two dates of the tour. And one happened to be in Nassau Coliseum, you know, in Long Island. But um, after that, in 88, Public Enemy did the Bring the Noise tour. And they put me on that tour. It was uh, Public Enemy, me, EPMD, Stetsasonic, and guess who was opening up? Easy e Yeah. And it was an amazing tour, man. Um, that year, it was one of the most amazing experiences I had ever been on, because I had never actually been on a full tour. And then, like, the level of competition, man, because, I mean, EPMD, they just had a whole nother energy. And then Public Enemy, I mean, like, you got the S1Ws doing the steps, and Flavor Flav, basically just being Flavor Flav is a whole other mood, on, you know, by itself, you know? And Chuck and his amazing voice and then the hits. I mean, Public Enemy just hit after hit after hit, you know? So, I mean, on stage, you know, I had to really, really be on my A game, you know, with the dance steps and um, the songs and the routines and the precision, because that's something that was always important to me, that precision, that preciseness. And one thing you got to keep in mind is 
Back then, this was not an MP3 era. This was not a CDJ era. This is straight up 12 inch. 12 inch records that skip with all that jumping around. So we have to be cautious of that, but still give a great stage show. Mr. C, you know, this is before DAT machines. We would do this live on the acetates because I would have the acetate instrumentals. I remember just one particular story. We did the song on the bug tip. That's the song with Kane and Scoob Lover. And that's the song where we use the wild style beat. We use that beat. One turntable wasn't working. It was either one turntable wasn't working or I lost the second vinyl. I had to go bring the record back, spin it back on time. Kane and Scoob did that whole record with me bringing it back on one turntable, on beat, and he never knew that I did it like that until after the show was over. We did our thing, man, and I thank Chuck D for making me a part of it, man. But it was an amazing, amazing experience. I mean, I remember plenty of nights um, we'd be at the hotel room and I see other artists out with, um, you know, with, with girls in the lobby or in the hallway and stuff like that. And, you know, me just being my ignorant self, you know, once I see that, I go and throw my silk robe on and my ballet slippers and every piece of jewelry I got. And then just go out in the hallway, you know, all slow, walking by everybody all slow, trying to make, <laughs> trying to make up all artists uncomfortable. You know, but I mean, you know, we, you know, it's all in funny games, man. You know, all in funny games. But we had a good time, though. I can't lie, man. A great time. And I thank Chuck D so much for making me a part of that. The Did I Ever Tell You the One About podcast, Did I Ever Tell You the One About Big Daddy Kane, is a timeless podcast production. Executive produced by Chantel Barron and MC Search for 4MC Multimedia and the Timeless Podcast Company. Co-executive produced by Eric DJ Eclipse Win for Pay to Win Management. Co-produced by Antonio Hardy and Saquon Johnson. Story contributors were AB Money, Chris Rock, Cliff Love, Disco Richie, courtesy of Divine Sounds, DJ Mr. C, Drip, Grandmaster Kaz, Lionel the Big Kid Martin, Little Daddy Shane, Master Ace, Ralph McDaniels, Steve Brown, Vaughn Lee, professionally known as Cudmaster Cool V, appears courtesy of BP Entertainment, Hip Hop Hands Foundation, and DJCoolV.com. Lead sound designer, Brett Epic Mazer. Associate sound design, Patrick Garcia. Timeless podcast immersive sound design voiceover by Tembisa Mashaka, and additional voiceover by special guest Kim Osario. 